Hello everyone, my name is Rochelle Innocent and I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purpose. Welcome to our channel. Our community is focused on fostering the intellectual and character development in children. We do this through our parent-child workshops that focus on four themes. Autonomy, self-efficacy, compassion, and self-concept in order to cultivate grit, perseverance, and resilience in each child. And we are so thrilled to be offering one of the first of its kind digital, virtual, and continuous learning environments, enabling parents and children to connect from all around the world. At Project Purpose, our overarching mandate is to renew and rebuild family, community, and relationships. Our different social media platforms provide us with an opportunity to have discussions and to create space on all topics that relate to family, community, and relationships with ourselves as well as with others, with a primary focus on mental health and education. More precisely, the ways that the institutions of mental health and education play a role and have played a role in our societies at large. These discussions and debates provide us with an opportunity to think critically about what needs to change within these structures for us to live up to our bold slogan, support, protect, and empower each child through youth-focused development, better known as leadership in juvenescence. We recognize that in valuing our children's leadership potential, this also translates as recreating and co-creating environments, both socially and politically, that will enable our children to thrive. For those of you who are particularly keen on the topic. We also write thought pieces every other Sunday. We actually have a thought piece scheduled to drop this upcoming Sunday. So be sure to meander over to the website and check out our online content. Now if it is the case that you are looking for a listening alternative, well we're available on 12 different podcast platforms for your listening leisure and we've provided you with access to the links in the description down below. Now, as is the convention, be sure to subscribe, hit that post notification bell so that you are aware of every time we post. And of course, if you like these conversations and you want to keep them going, like, comment, and share this segment. Let's get into it. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another segment here on Project Purpose. For those of you who are new, we cover topics that relate to mental health, mental wellness and education on a week by week basis and today our topic of discussion is mental wellness and on the topic of mental wellness I'm going to delve into a comment I made a few videos earlier around myself being a survivor of abuse and not a victim of abuse. And someone wanted to ask me how I delineate between those two labels. And typically I'm like adverse and very weary of using labels, but in this situation, I'm comfortable using them. I like to see myself as a survivor. But what distinguishes the two? Well, one thing is clear is both the survivor and the victim have gone through really tough situations. So I would say that the one thing that we have in common is trauma. We have, you know, people targeting us to be abusive as something that we have in common. We have had terrible things happen to us. So I think that the one thing that we can share between someone who carries more of a victim mindset is like bad things have happened, have really taken place. And I think that the difference between being a survivor and being a victim is being a survivor means I haven't internalized the things that have taken place. 
against me as an indication of who I am, as an indication of my identity. And I think the one thing that victims do, and they do to their own detriment, is they start to internalize some of the messaging that comes with the abuse. And a lot of the messaging that comes with abuse is rationalization and justification for why that abuser is being abusive. And one thing that I can tell you, I have never felt that there was any justification for mistreatment. So one of the things that I think is really very clear is as a survivor, I know who I am and I'm unapologetic about who I am, even if it doesn't fit in your narrative. And I think that the one thing that is really, really important is a lot of the times a victim assumes the narrative of the person who's abusing them, of the institutions who's abusing them, of the people who are in positions of authority who are abusing them. And as a survivor, I don't, but I recognize that a lot of people need to make up their own minds, right? So having been raised by parents who skewed people's perception of who I was as an individual in order to preserve their sense of self. So they like to kind of paint me as a rebel child, as, you know, the problem child, and I played into it. I didn't have a problem with playing into it, but I knew that fundamentally I was dealing with a lot of trauma, right? I was bullied, and I was bullied by boys. So if I was older, if we were older by even seven years, the injuries and the, the blows and the the types of abuse that I experienced, the physical abuse I experienced from my bullies, it would have been domestic violence, right? I could say that in grade seven, as a 12 year old, like I was a victim of being physically abused by a male. And no one responded to my cries for help, right? And, and not only, you know, to add insult to injury, when I became aggressive, when I tried to adapt to my environment, which was very hostile towards me for many different reasons, I think that I just had to allow people to make up their own minds about who I was and about why I engaged the way that I did. And a lot of the people who knew the history understood a lot of my behaviors came from the fact that I was targeted by this one individual who couldn't stop telling me who he thought I was, right? And it was interesting because it was in seeing the disparity between his actions and his words that I recognized that I needed to know who I was and not assume the narrative of the abuser. When this particular individual started abusing me, like he, every day, like on a daily basis, he had to call me ugly. He wanted me so desperately to believe how hideous I was. And he would hit me, like I was slapped in the face by him. I was kicked down the stairs. I was pushed down the stairs. I was shoved. And, and not to mention, like we, went, we took the same bus to school. We took the same bus back home. He lived on my street. So even after school, he would come over to my house and continue his reign of terror. And he needed me to believe that I was ugly. He needed me to believe that I meant nothing. And for a period of time, and this is the only period of time in my life, I believed it. I believed I must be hideous for the way that he felt inclined to treat me. He treated me so terribly. And no one was responding to my cries for help. So, you know, it must be true. Like, I must be nothing, you know, what he was trying to say. But then I think the one area that really confused me is he got very defensive when I got attention from anyone else. It was almost like I was his punching ball, but no one else could pay any attention to me without them getting the heat. And so that was the one point of confusion for me. And then the, the next point of confusion, growing up, I was not allowed. My parents were very religious. I was not allowed to celebrate Halloween. So despite the fact that this man, this boy, that were children at the time, would terrorize me, on Halloween, he made sure to do an extra round of trick-or-treating so that he could give me a trick-or-treat 
pillow and I remember opening the door on Halloween at the very end of the night and he was there and he's just like well because you can't celebrate Halloween I did trick-or-treating for you and I remember that in the confusion that I experienced because I was like well why would you do this if you think that I'm nothing if you beat me up every day if, if you call me horrible names if you torment me why would you do something so kind and I realized you know what this person isn't okay <laughs> and so I think that I'm only going to do myself a disservice to assume that anything that he says makes sense and to believe anything that he says and I chose you know in that year it wasn't in that exact moment but I chose in that year that I needed to be the one who authored my story and my identity I couldn't allow the abuser to own the narrative about who I was and so because of that decision because of that commitment in adulthood when I've been targeted by someone who was abusive and I have been targeted many times by people who are abusive who have the power to be abusive who have the power to create a lot of horrible consequences based on the narrative that they spin and abuse that power to their own detriment at the end of the day because what they hope is that I would assume that narrative and because I know who I am I usually stand firm and I usually just ignore it I usually just disregard it but there are certain situations that I've realized now now that I've been a victim of stalking I've been a, a victim of people defaming me you know calling me names that I'm not calling me if, if it wasn't the rumor that I was crazy it's the rumor that I'm and I've done criminal activity and none of this has any weight and I've just sat silent and for the last couple of years I learned so much in being silent and I think that one, the one thing that I learned is that there are people who will believe everything and anything that they hear and these people you need to pinpoint who they are and cut them out of your life completely if there is someone in your life who believes the hot gossip off the press without any questions asked like those people are very dangerous people they will help burn the fire that is meant to destroy you essentially which is what some of these smear campaigns are meant to do but sit silently and you'll also find people who are confused because the narrative doesn't fit what they see it doesn't fit a lot of what it is that they've experienced personally but then they don't have the information to fill in the gaps and so for me i've usually been okay with that with that void. I've been okay to not fill the void with not having to justify myself or rationalize myself because I'm confident that I know who I am. But in recent years, I've learned that it's just too much, I have too much tolerance for the abusive language that takes place with people who want to victimize me. And I think that it's not enough for me to not assume the narrative, which is what I, I don't do. And as a survivor, we just don't assume the narrative. It's like, whatever it is that you have to say about me, like if I know that it's not true, I walk in peace. Like I am completely okay with the divide that takes place based on who wants to believe what about what's being said. I don't think that me coming on a platform saying, well, I didn't do this is gonna be enough to sway someone who really wants to believe that I did something. That I didn't do but what I've realized now is that there are certain things that are spoken about that are just so awful and that are so vile and so wrong that I don't need to go on a platform to speak about it but I do need to hold those people accountable for it and I think the one thing that is different between a victim and between a survivor is a victim might lash out in spite because they're hurt because they're angry and as a survivor I lash out for accountability for truth and for the records to be set straight. And so th there was a time in my life before, you know, I healed from a lot of my trauma where I was very good at being spiteful, right? And I was very good at being patient and biding my time and acting out of spite to the people who hurt me. And I think that that also even speaks to, you know, a survivor who is healing because 
Never when I decided that I was not going to internalize the narrative that people are speaking about me, did I ever sit and think to myself, when people are saying this, it must be true, right? Like I know what is true about me more than any person who's observing me because I have access to my inner world, right? So I have access to my inner world. I'm very confident that I know myself more than anyone possibly could, regardless of how many hours of observation that they have. So I am unswayed, unshaken about my personal perception of self. What I've learned and what I'm learning in the last few years of my silence, my intentional silence, is I was trying to make sure I had the case built against the people who were tearing me down and literally trying to murder me socially, right? It was like a spiritual attack. It was like a murder of the reputation that I built professionally and personally. If it wasn't attacking my mental health, it was attacking my integrity, attacking just who I am at my core. And I usually will allow those things to dictate like who stays in my life and who doesn't. But I think some of the things are so wild spoken by people who are in positions of authority who should know better that I have to take a stand and publicly denounce those things and publicly prove and disprove those things and hold those people accountable for abusing their platform, for abusing their positions of power so that they don't influence other people stepping into those roles of power to do the same. And I think that we have just too many people in positions of power who feel inclined to bend that power to their own will, whether it's because they have an adverse reaction to rejection, whether it's because they feel that people should do do what they say or suffer the consequences of going elsewhere, there are certain things that when you say them out loud about someone and you're going out of your way, no matter where that person goes, you really want everyone to believe it, hoping that maybe, just maybe, the person that you're talking about will believe it. You're setting yourself up for your own destruction, right? And especially when you're coming up against a survivor who has dealt with abuse her whole life. And I remember when I was in the program for women escaping violence, one of the questions that they asked is, you know, usually if someone going through all of this turmoil, all of this chaos, like they usually fall into bouts of depression. And I was like, no, like I don't have a depressive profile. And I don't have a depressive profile because when it is the case that I am targeted, that I am abused, the fire that I experience, there's a fire within me that keeps me going. There's a lot of anger where I recognize how mistreated that I've been. I have I have a lot of anger towards the people who are hurting me because I know that I don't deserve to be hurt this way. And I think that because I know I don't deserve it, because I'll never allow myself to believe that I deserve mistreatment by people who are abusing their positions of authority, I'm not going to give them the power to send me into a a period of depression that's not gonna happen. I may cry tears, but half of the time those are tears of rage, right? It'll be tears of frustration, tears of rage, like it could be tears because like it's just exhausting as well. But if my mother, if I was able to desensitize myself from the words of the woman who birthed me, if those words lost their value and lost their ability to hurt me, then I can't I can't understand how anyone could think that their words could ever equate to anything even close to proximity as something that would hurt me, right? And like, not to say that I don't suffer injury. I mean, I most, I most certainly do, but it's a privileged position that you must hold to be able to hurt me. It's a privileged position that very, very few possess, right? That very, very few people have. And a lot of the times if I am crying, and I do cry, <laughs> survivors cry as well as victims, it is 
rage and frustration and anger and also because I know I need to be patient because sometimes to really make sure that you hold someone accountable you have to give them the leeway to do their absolute worst and as a survivor I will let you do your worst and hold your face to the fire when the time comes to speak up and I will absolutely speak up as a survivor there is no way that I will allow abuse to take place in the dark and a lot of abusers they like to work in the shadows they like to have the abuse rampant but private they don't want you to speak up about it because they want to be seen as good but still do bad I don't know why they have a sick pleasure in, in that dichotomy but they want to be seen as good but do bad behind closed doors and I'm the person who's going to shed light on every deed done in the dark it doesn't matter what position you carry it doesn't matter what position you've carried or what things you've gotten away with I think typically when you come face to face with a survivor it's the end of the it's the end of the road for you you're gonna start dealing with the consequences that maybe you haven't dealt with in a while and you're gonna start dealing with them in a very real way and you're going to start recognizing that your false sense of power your false sense of superiority is gonna really start to show itself as the house of cards it always was and it most certainly will come toppling down. In any case, that's the topic for today and it is a topic on mental wellness but I do think that I wanted to talk about being a survivor, about what it means to be a survivor, how that impacts my mental wellness in a positive way, in a positive way because it always means I'm ready to fight the good fight, especially when it comes to my reputation, when it comes to my character being torn down and I'm not doing it for anyone. I'm not doing it to regain the friends I've lost in this New York campaign. I'm not doing it to regain status from people who easily, my, you know, their sense of who I was was easily removed by some of the smears. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it because I deserve to have the, the truth be told and consequences doled out and people being held accountable when they've gone out of their way to really try to undermine, to destroy me in every possible way. And just because they couldn't get what they wanted out of me. And I think that any one of you who is dealing with bullies regardless of what position they carry what context you meet them give it time be patient and make sure that when the time is right you hold them accountable don't let the bullies get away with it this is a new day and the bully must fall regardless of who they are the bully must fall in any case that was it but definitely not all now before letting you go i would be remiss if i didn't let you know that we will be going live at least twice a month every month for the foreseeable future on our facebook page definitely be sure to tune in now these events are paid events so if you do see yourself participating in our community on an ongoing basis then i do suggest that you take a look at one of our package plans yes so we do offer package plans over and above our live events as well as access to webinars and workshops largely focused on self-mastery over and above these events. So make sure to tune in, join our Game Changer community, being part of the change that you want to see, allowing us a small role to play in your journey. We are on the road to 1K, so we invite you all to follow us across all of our social media platforms. Leave a like, and we look forward to chatting with all of you very soon. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> I just feel like the world's into me. 